0: Hey there, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Bruce Kelly with another episode of the Investment News Podcast. Uh, My colleague Jeff Benjamin is out vacationing this week, playing golf or fishing or hiking or some sort of very healthy thing like that, um, at least in the daytime. And as, as far as I can tell, um, but he'll be back real soon, as I understand it. And um, so I'm just flying solo this week, and we have a, a terrific guest for you, uh, a gentleman named Adam Gana, uh, uh, an attorney, a plaintiff's attorney, and Adam is managing partner at his own firm, Gana, uh, Gana, is it Ghana or Ghana, Adam? It's Ghana. Ghana, excuse me. It's okay. So Adam is managing partner at Ghana Weinstein. Um, and he's here to discuss a very interesting uh, case involving um, uh, Finra arbitration uh, uh, that was uh, over uh, Finra arbitration ruling um, that was overturned recently in a Georgia state court. And so the big headlines here, and this is for our, our producer Steve too, I guess, is uh, as far as I can tell, uh, is Finra arbitration. What this story we did a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago is really about, is FINRA arbitration really a neutral and fair forum for financial advisors and clients, or is it a rigged buddy system or a rigged old boy network of some kind? Um, So before we get into all that stuff and all the background about FINRA arbitration, I just want to say hello to Adam. And Adam, how are you today, sir?
1: Hi, Bruce. I'm excellent. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here and to talk about this uh, incredible decision out of the Superior Court of uh, Fulton County in the state of Georgia. See,
0: th- this one really seemed to get <laughs> you, the, the attorney uh, guys and gals buzzing uh, here. There was a lot of comments um, uh, on this one. And just for uh, people's edification, Adam, Uh, Why don't we just start first, before we get into this case that calls into question FINRA arbitration's neutrality, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Gunnar Weinstein.
1: Sure. So we are a national law firm that represents individuals in uh, FINRA arbitrations across the entire United States. Uh, We probably represent around 5% of all investors that bring FINRA arbitrations uh, around the country nationally. Uh, I'm an adjunct professor at New York Law School, working in the securities arbitration space and context. I've been published, I'm uh, recognized by super lawyers, and I'm on the board of directors of the Public Investor Bar Association. Uh, But all the opinions I'm giving here today are those of my own.
0: And that's Piaba, is the Public Investor Bar Association. Sure,
1: yes, of course.
0: So you're a guy who sues brokerage firms, in other words.
1: Yeah, if you want to put it that way, sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On behalf of... Clients, have you ever represented any FAs? Because FAs have sure. disputes with their employers, right? I've, re- I've uh, represented broker over dealers. compensation, in particular, and benefits, and the
1: like. Sure, I've represented broker dealers. I've represented financial advisors. It's not my uh, preferred area of practice. I love what I do. I love representing investors. I feel like you know, uh, representing the you know the David against Goliath story. It's great. You know, I love my practice.
0: Right. And you said you represent about 5% of all cases. I'd say
1: in the last couple of years, that's about right. Somewhere between four,
0: 5%. And and what, what kind of number is that? Is that 50 cases a year, 100 cases a year? What is that?
1: Closer to about 100. Okay.
0: And what exactly is FINRA arbitration? Because we do have listeners out there who are not securities industry people. Just for And again, just for everyone's edification... If I'm a, I'm a client and I'm a client, say I have my IRA at Fidelity, right? And if something goes wrong with my, or if, and if my financial advisor puts me in an investment that crashes or I'm an older person and I have my, IRA, my retirement account at Fidelity and I get totally backwards on my account, I can't go to state court and sue Fidelity. I have to, because my brokerage, my contract with Fidelity says, and all brokerage firms, not just Fidelity, I'm just using Fidelity. Because they're my broker. Those contracts stipulate that you have to go to an arbitration forum, like FINRA arbitration. Correct.
1: Right. That's exactly right, Bruce. So, so for you know the average listener, when you open up a brokerage account at any firm, whether it be Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, any brokerage firm in the United States, you sign uh, new account forms, and in those new account forms. Uh, there is an arbitration clause toward the end of that contract, and that can be
0: dozens of pages long. Sure,
1: no I, I, I'm confident that your average investor or your average listener is not reading that document. I'm a securities arbitration <laughs> attorney; I don't read the document. So, at the back of that uh, contract that you sign when you want to start trading stocks at any company, any broker-dealer, uh, is is an agreement that if you ever want to sue. Uh, that broker dealer that you're going to do it in arbitration and specifically in Finra arbitration.
0: Now that's it's when I have told people about this over the years, just my friends or people at dinner parties, cocktail parties, sure. you know, school lunch, you know, meetings with our kids at school, and some people say, "Hey, what do you do? What do you do with that kind of thing?" And they ask, and and this issue comes up, they go, "Huh, that's kind of funny." The the industry kind of has it pretty. The the brokerage industry has it pretty sweet um, because Finra is. Paid for by the securities industry.
1: That's right. It's a self regulatory organization that is paid for by the dues associated with um, the securities industry. But, you know, I'm not here to besmirch uh, FINRA. I actually like the forum enough. You know, I, I think that there needs to be changes, and we're obviously going to talk about that in some detail today through this order. And there needs to be changes, uh, unequivocally. But there are efficiencies that you get in arbitration uh, sometimes that you don't get in court.
0: No doubt, I don't, I don't doubt any of that. Like I said, the headline for this is the question: Is this is Finner arbitration a neutral forum? And I think the example that we're going to discuss calls that into question. I just wanted to give background about what FINRA, what arbitration is, what what happens when you do sue a brokerage firm. You know, most people out there, whatever percent, 90 percent, 95, 99 percent, they're never going to sue their brokerage firm. <laughs> they're never going to sue their broker. They really like their financial advisor, you know, as as all context, you know. But what happened here and what was interesting, what you and I talked about a few weeks ago, is this a uh, uh, court order out of, uh, uh, I guess, Atlanta, state in Atlanta from a state judge, a district judge in um, Fulton County, Alinda E. Edwards. And she had issue with, a, with an arbitration decision that was in favor of Wells Fargo. And it was really um, an interesting case. It goes back to a client, a gentleman named Brian Leggett, who first filed a, a, a FINRA arbitration complaint against Wells Fargo advisors back in 2017, suing the firm and his broker for uh, around a million and a half dollars and alleging that Wells Fargo failed to adequately train, monitor, and supervise two uh, brokers who mismanaged his account. In 2019, Leggett lost that claim with three FINRA arbitrators denying the allegations. Now, his attorney took that to a court in, in Georgia where the FINRA arbitration occurred and Judge Edwards, uh, last, at the end of last month, near the end of January, overturned that decision. And basically, uh, Judge Edwards condemned the, inipu- the alleged manipulation of the way the, the three panelists were chosen here. So I hope I've explained that clearly, right? So we had a guy back in 2017, Leggett, suing Wells Fargo. In 2019, he lost that a lawsuit in FINRA arbitration. In 2022, a judge in Atlanta overturned that decision saying, hey, there was some monkey business with how the arbitrators, and it's three people, it's a three-person panel, so it can go 3-0 or 2-1, right, to get a victory there. There was some monkey business in how this was chosen. Did I leave anything out from that kind of summary, do you think, Adam?
1: Summary was phenomenal, Bruce.
0: <laughs> well i used to be a school teacher my friend so i have my box of gold stars well
1: i love it i love
0: here it. i love it
1: from one professor to another so you get a gold star one professor to another so so let's get into the let's get into now this. now
0: the crux of so that's all background so the crux of this issue is how there was this uh a nod and a wink this monkey business with the selection of the of The three arbitrators here. Could you could you comment on that or get into that a little bit?
1: It's fascinating how this all came up because it all came up by accident, right? So um, and, uh, when you select our, arbit- so uh, let's just back it up for your listeners real quick. Right. When, when, when arbitrators are selected in FINRA arbitration, each side gets to pick and rank certain arbitrators and where there is overlap, those become your arbitrators. And so if, how many
0: arbitrators do you start out with?
1: Adam, you start out like with this? three categories of arbitrators. The main category is the chair category where there are 10 arbitrators to choose from. You rank them your top arbitrator one, your least favorable arbitrator six, and you get four strikes. The second group is your public group. You pick one through nine out of a choice of 15 and six strikes. And then the last group is the non-public, those that are in the industry. Now, in that group, you can rank or strike as many as you'd like, okay?
0: What kind of pool of candidates in total does that represent? Is that 30 people?
1: 25, I
0: believe. So 25 10 so. for the so chair, t-
1: 15 for the right. public, and then 10 for the
0: non-public. So dozens of people here. Sure. So it's already getting confusing, I think. <laughs> like you, sure. You know, so how on earth, with dozens of people, could Wells Fargo tip the... You know, put their thumb on the scale here and get the people they wanted to be, the, and the arbitrators again make the decision. And there's millions of dollars involved in these claims, right? I mean, there's, and what I said in my story initially was, this is if this is widespread, this has this could call into question like hundreds of arbitration, dozens, hundreds of arbitration decisions with millions, tens of millions of dollars involved here.
1: I, I think that it could potentially call into question uh, far more reaching, uh, have a far more reaching effect. Bruce, uh, I think I call the question every arbitration potentially. So let's talk about what happened and, and, you know, your listeners can decide uh, what they think. So when the list is generated, each attorney takes a look at it and they start the ranking and striking. There was an arbitrator that was put on the list that the attorney for Wells Fargo, Terry Weiss said he wanted off the list. And the reason he wanted it off the list, according to the decision, was that he had tried a case in front of this arbitrator in the past. He had lost. But interestingly, he had moved to vacate the decision. And that vacature was denied. So so moving to vacate just means going to court to try to get the arbitration overturned. And it was denied. Right. So he asked the director to remove the arbitrator at the objection of the claimant in the case. Okay. And the director decided to remove him. He said that that he should be removed from the pool. So a new pool is generated. Each side ranks. Each side strikes. And three arbitrators are now assigned to the case. So what happens then? One of the assigned panelists, according to the order, had some form of conflict because his law firm, but not him, it represented someone who may have had an adverse uh, relationship that was very attenuated and Wells Fargo through their attorney moved to have that person removed from the panel and the director of FINRA removed him. So now in two separate instances, there's this perception that the, that the arbitrator, that the arbitration pool was gamed. So claimant has to be here. Remember, as you said, the claimant has to be here. And, and, and there's this perception that, that who is now on the panel has been gamed by one of the sides.
0: Yeah, that's pretty shocking to me you know
1: many claimants Bruce many claimants Bruce say that the picking of arbitrators is and respondents say it too is the quintessential thing that you can do as an attorney the hours poured over picking arbitrators is essential to any case because arbitrators arbitrator decisions aren't reasoned they give an award you have a case you could try the same case five different times to get five different awards it happens all the time
0: so it's almost like picking a jury. Yeah, then. more important than but picking a, a jury. But a highly concentrated jury of people with an extensive background yes. in securities law and, and, and securities rulings and the like.
1: Exactly. It's more important than picking a jury because you're picking your judge and your jury
0: here. I'm just going to read a couple of things that um, Judge Edwards wrote in the order, okay? Sure. And then hey, I'm going to ask you to comment. So she says you're permitting one lawyer to secretly redline the neutral list— makes the list anything but neutral and calls into question the entire fairness of the arbitral forum. Uh, She condemned FINRA, or she condemned Wells Fargo, its attorney, Terry Weiss and FINRA for allowing, this is me paraphrasing, for allowing the manipulation of choice of arbitrators that would in the end favor the brokerage firm over the client, thus creating a disparity. Weiss was allowed, with a nod and a wink from FINRA, again, this is my language, to manipulate FINRA's quote-unquote neutral list of arbitrators in the Leggett lawsuit, according to Edward's order, essentially allowing one side to put the thumb on the scale of justice. And this is from the order. Wells Fargo and its counsel, Terry Weiss, admit that FINRA provides any client Terry Weiss represents with a subset of arbitrators— in which certain arbitrators, at least three, but perhaps more, are removed from the list Wells Fargo agreed by contract to provide to investors in the event of a dispute. So it sounds like Wells Fargo and Terry Weiss, their attorney, told Judge Edwards that FINRA gives Weiss this client, this uh, list of arbitrators.
1: With regard to this issue, right, my understanding is that there's this neutral selection system that FINRA has where they generate these lists randomly by region, right? So if you're in New York, right. you generally get- And new by and
0: computer. It. What they what they what right. FINRA explained to me was like, you know, this is a computer-generated right. list, so it's got to be fair.
1: That's right. But either before or after, I'm not 100% certain, but either before or after, there is a human element to it where conflicts that the computer may not pick up get uh, put into some sort of system by FINRA to strike out other people. And I think what Mr. Weiss, uh, counsel for Wells Fargo, was referring to is that he had complained about these three arbitrators uh, because of whatever decision he had had with them in the past, whatever arbitration he had, whatever issues he had, and said he didn't want them on the list and that he states that he was verbally told that they wouldn't serve on his panel again, thereby creating a conflict. And this is where the rubber meets the road and where the problem is, Bruce. Right. This is this is the crux of the problem.
0: How would you react if you were Mr. Leggett's attorney and this came to your attention? Uh, would How be, would you have felt about the case or what would you do about the case?
1: I would have been livid. I
0: would yeah. have been livid.
1: There's no other way about it.
0: You know, Why? Why? Why so?
1: Well, we just talked about this. Picking arbitrators is essential. It's a sensitive issue. It's an important issue. It's the number one issue in any case. I tell my students this. I tell you know anyone that wants to listen to me, uh, of which there are few and far uh, between people that uh, that do. But when they do, uh, I tell them. <laughs> I tell them. We're that, listening,
0: Adam. Come
1: on. <laughs> I, I tell them that 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 <laughs> th- this is the number one thing. And to first lose an arbitrator, essentially give respondent an additional strike is massive. It's massive. It's massive. And then to be able to remove an arbitrator that you dislike, which according to the court seems to be an inappropriate reason to have disregarded or to remove him, is just devastating to a case. Because like I said, you can try the same case five times in fin arbitration and get five different awards. I'm an arbitrator, and when I was doing my arbitrator training blah 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 years ago we were given a very simple fact pattern you know, five investments, five thousand dollars each, three of them are unsuitable, two of them are suitable. go make an award. and right. five different groups of arbitrators came back with five different awards on the most simplest fact pattern that FINRA could think of. I was floored
0: um and like you say too, I think it's it's good to point out to people the the average listener, the lay listener that, these three person panels, they are judge and jury, right? They are because they decide whether or not some money is going to be handed over in the first place. And then they decide, so they're not just deciding guilt or innocence, but they're deciding how much compensation and damages is awarded are awarded to, right? It could be zero in damages, it could be trouble damages if there's if there's an elderly person involved, and in it's elder abuse or elder fraud or something like sure, that.
1: Sure, that's exactly right. So so they both decide, and we're going to get into this a little, I'm sure, uh, when we start talking about the later parts of the award, but they both decide what evidence gets in, what they actually want to hear and not hear, just like a judge. They decide uh, whether or not you can ask a line of questioning or not ask it, and in that sense they're a judge, and they decide how much money you get. Uh, treble damages, like you said, interest, whatever the case may be. Right. Uh, for the attorney's case. fees and all sure. like, yeah.
0: Another problem I've always had with FINRA, with final arbitration is that none of this is public, <laughs> right? Right. You can't, as it, you know, this is something I, I didn't know when I first started covering the securities industry more than twenty years ago. That this is a private forum. So, I mean, I've a, a handful of times in my career, and uh, I've I've gotten my hands on transcripts of of these things. I've seen transcripts, but that's extremely rare. Sure. Maybe once or twice I've seen a transcript of such a he- of these hearings. There's no way to, and be, the arbitrator's decision doesn't have to give a reason for why they they decided uh, the three panel uh, person panel decided for or against a claimant. In this case, an investor, Mr. Leggett.
1: Let me tell you, Bruce, what I, what I want to see happen sure. as a result of this, as a result of this portion of the order, right? Because this portion of the order is illuminating. You know, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Senator Warren is calling for investigation. I mean, this is important. But let me tell you what I personally uh, would like to see on behalf of myself. I'd like to see for more explanation and criteria, a, a better understanding of the criteria used for these types of challenges, Right. I want more reasoned decisions from the director. I want publication of these types of decisions when they're made so that I can get a better understanding as somebody who's there to represent and to protect investors. I can know when this is happening and how it's happening. Like you said, it's just all about transparency.
0: Yeah. Um, and the securities industry could always need more transparency. What else did you want to discuss about the, about the award and, and the decision? I think he sued originally for $4 million or $5 million, and he wound up getting, uh, Leggett wound up getting uh, a million and a half. And I spoke with his attorney, and I think they're very, they're very, very pleased about the whole uh, outcome of events. And I actually reached out, I got to say, to Terry Weiss, uh, the attorney we've been talking about for Wells Fargo, when we did our story a couple of weeks ago about this. I didn't hear back from him. Um, we, I'd love to have him on the podcast or do an interview with him, of course. Sure. Uh, Wells Fargo. This is what Wells Fargo told me at the time. FINRA has well-established rules for admitting arbitrators to its roster and the process is fair to all parties. Wells Fargo advi- advisors, that's the brokerage, followed this process and we intend to appeal. So they're going to appeal. And then FINRA, uh, a PR person, spokesperson said that the uh, Judge, Judge Edwards was essentially what Judge Edwards was saying was not accurate. Quote, there has never been any agreement between FINRA dispute resolution services, that's the arbitration forum, and attorney Terry Weiss regarding appointment of arbitrators. Any assertions to that effect are false. So do you have any any comment about the award or any of those statements by those parties involved?
1: You know, what can you say? I mean, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I would call on both the Senate and the SEC to do an investigation on the practice of neutral selection and fin arbitration. I think that it's an important topic and something that needs to be looked into. Um, but, you know, there are a host of other issues associated with this award that may also have uh, with this order that may also have a far reaching effect. For example, you know. Uh, the award, the panel once actually appointed, the three panelists that were appointed, failed to give uh, claimants a short adjournment of the hearing so that they could review uh, documents that were allegedly uh, produced late. They denied the inclusion of non-cumulative evidence. There are a host of things that I think-
0: um, So those are like procedural issues that you would take issue with. But they're huge, Bruce.
1: Yes, but they're huge, right? Because- in the future, if, a, if an attorney requests a short adjournment and doesn't get it, would that in and of itself be sufficient utilizing this uh, order as, uh, as precedent? Would that be sufficient to vacate an award? How about hearing non-cumulative evidence? Would that be sufficient in and of itself? Or was it the cumulative effect of all of these things that caused this award to be vacated. Time will tell right. on appeal, but, you know, the cumulative effect component of this is fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, now you're getting, you're starting to sound, my brother's an attorney, so you're starting to sound to me like my brother here. I mean, you're, talking, <laughs> you're getting into the legal. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We, no, that's quite, <laughs> it's quite all right. It's, it's quite all right. Um, this is, at these points of these conversations that we've been talking for, you know, 20, 25 minutes or so, this is when I always realized, thank, thank goodness, I didn't apply to law school, you know. <laughs> Um, it would have just given me a, a headache for three years. I think, or, um, or fifteen in some cases. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you mentioned this case to to your students? To to your classes yet? Or is this something that you would talk to them about? Or or is it too new? It's not settled enough to to discuss with them.
1: The way I talk to the students is we talk about the practical components of practicing in this area. So we have a more hands-on approach where we incorporate them into uh, my law firm and have them actually do um, legal research and stuff like that, and so um, I have mentioned this order to them, uh, but we haven't gone into it in great detail. But and especially because it's a lower court decision and state court as well, right? So will it have far-reaching effects uh, because of its uh, because of publicity and what it actually says? Yes, but will it have far-reaching legal implications? Yet to be determined.
0: To me, this is some something almost like if if I were sixty minutes, you know, this would. A producer at 60 minutes this is something that i would want to look at right because you really i think you need an organization uh or, or you know a, a tv show or a publication with that kind of time and heft and resources to really attack the subject and, and look at it you know what
1: i mean sure sure it takes a lot it would take a lot of uh inve- investigatory work to right. uh Uh, to look into all the contours of what's going on here.
0: But we got to raise, I think it's great that we're, we kind of get the first, you know, hit of these things and try to raise all these questions that we, I hope we were doing in in my article and that we're doing on the podcast today, you know, because there are a ton of unanswered questions here. Just the last thing I want to last thing before we go, I want to circle back with you. And you said, this has far reaching implications for hundreds of cases out there. You said, right?
1: It could have far-reaching implications for the whole process. I mean, you know, with Senate uh, calling for investigations, uh, you know, as a result of this order, uh, you know, it could have far-reaching implications for FINRA arbitration, potentially.
0: And this is arbitration. The arbitration system is something that Senator Warren from Massachusetts has been kind of banging, you know, the the podium about for years, right? Oh,
1: Absolutely.
0: Adam, anything else about this before we go or not?
1: I think that's it. Bruce, thanks so much.
0: Okay, man. That was Adam Ganna. Adam, uh, thanks so much for coming by the podcast today. Uh, Launching every Monday, it's the Investment News Podcast. We want to thank our special guest once more, Adam Ganna, the managing partner of Ganna Weinstein. We also want to thank Stephen Lamb, our producer. Uh, All our listeners out there, you can find it at investmentnews.com. Also on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Jeff's uh, Twitter handle is at Benji Ryder. Mine's at BD News Guy. Stay tuned. Jeff will be back, and we'll be talking to you next week.